Good morning. Please pray with me. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from Zechariah, as Emily said, chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. Um, and I'll be reading today from the message translation. Shout and cheer, daughter Zion. Raise the roof, daughter Jerusalem. Your king is coming, a good king who makes all things right, a humble king riding a donkey, a mere colt of a donkey. I've had it with war. No more chariots in Ephraim, no more war horses in Jerusalem, no more swords and spears, bows and arrows. He will offer peace to the nations, a peaceful rule worldwide, from the four winds to the seven seas. And you, because of my blood covenant with you, I'll release your prisoners from their hopeless cells. Come home, hope-filled prisoners. This very day, I'm declaring a double bonus. Everything you lost returned twice over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was a college student, I spent a summer in Dakar, Senegal, which is the westernmost city in continental Africa. I was there as part of a team that worked in a home for former street boys. We provided a summer camp-like experience for two months while they were out of school. Most of the boys I worked with that summer had run away from an abusive schooling system in which sons of usually impoverished families were sent to so-called religious schools, and a significant part of their education there involved begging on the streets to learn humility and provide their communities with an opportunity to give to the poor. As I learned the stories of my boys and met many others like them that summer that were still living either at the schools or on the streets, my heart broke. And so I turned to the Bible for solace, and I found in it a set of books that are referred to as the Minor Prophets. The Minor Prophets are the 12 books that you can find at the end of the Old Testament. They're called that because they're shorter than their more verbose and more well-known prophet friends. And some of them, like Jonah, are stories that we all learned in Sunday school, but most of them, like Zechariah, where our text today comes from, they languish as the pages in the middle of our Bible to which we rarely turn. I wore out the pages of the Minor Prophets that summer because they raged with my heart. These books are full of tearful laments and tongue-lashing righteous anger and images of a way of love and peace that just can make me weep with joy. That summer was the first time that I had faced the utter brokenness of our world. It was the first time that I truly understood that there is something in this world, call it evil, Paul calls it the powers and principalities, some people would refer to it as the devil, but whatever you call it, it's some power that is actively opposed to the purposes of God. The minor prophets gave words to my earnest, fresh-faced rage in the face of that power. And they gave me hope that that power does not get the final say. Late author and lay theologian Rachel Held Evans referred to the prophets and related parts of scripture as resistance stories. In the whole history of God's people, God seems almost entirely concerned with people who are on the losing side of the story. The band of slaves in Egypt, the people who are in exile, orphans and widows, 
people who are sick and prisoners, and followers of a man who is executed by the Roman Empire? The prophets give voice to these people. As Rachel reminds us, they defy the empire by subverting the notion that history will be written by the wealthy or the powerful or the cruel, insisting instead that the god of the oppressed will have the final word. These resistance stories take a few different formats. Some of them speak of oppressive powers and empires, both within their own community and those that are trying to keep their community pinned down. We might recognize such a resistance story in abolitionist and suffragist Sojourner Truth's famous Ain't I a Woman speech, where she masterfully decried the twin evils of sexism and racism that kept her on the margins of 19th century America. Other resistance stories, though, they cast a vision of what the world can look like and will look like when ordered around God's radical vision for justice. So this is Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, which we have all heard before, in which he gave us eyes to see another world by first calling the injustices of this world to account, and then mapping out what a world aligned with God's justice might look like. So today's text from Zechariah, it's a lot like that second kind of resistance story. It gives us a glimpse of where we're going. It's unclear exactly when this particular passage was written, but it was almost certainly late in Israel's national life. So after they'd been exiled from their land, and then a remnant had returned back. So the people of Israel were back in their homeland, but it still wasn't really theirs. It was occupied territory, subject to the whims and graces of other kings and other nations. And it's in this atmosphere that the prophet speaks his word of hope for the future. The arrival of the true king of Israel, a renewal of God's covenant with God's people, and a return of all that had been lost. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says that when we read these future-oriented passages, like this one from Zechariah, they don't just tell us about the future, but they also give us a lens through which to view the present. Y'all, it feels like these last few months we've been learning a lot about our present. I don't know about you, but for me, between COVID and the protests over racial injustice, it feels like a curtain has been pulled back on our society. And all of a sudden, we are witnessing realities that we had done a really good job of glossing over up until now. We have seen disparities in working conditions. As many of us were and still are able to stay safely at home during this pandemic, many more have been deemed essential and they've continued venturing out to work every day. And we've seen that in many cases, those who are placed most at risk, so grocery store clerks, factory workers, nurses, aides and orderlies, cleaning staff, they're low-wage workers, and they're unprotected by sick days or leave policies, and consequently, they're those who can least afford to miss a day due to illness. We've seen disparities in medical access, as some parts of the country, even here in our own city, had easy access to tests, whereas in other areas, there has not been a test to be found unless you are already in the hospital with severe symptoms. We are suddenly learning what the world has been like all along, for our friends and neighbors with disabilities and chronic illness. We're learning about the isolation and the lack of access to community and resources. 
And at the same time, we realize that those neighbors continue to be at greater risk than we are. Some of us are gathered in the sanctuary today, and this small, spaced-out crowd reminds us that, sadly, venturing out to be in this building with this community is still dangerous for so many people that we love. We see that even pandemics, the very word rooted in the idea that it could impact all people, we see that they are not, in fact, equal opportunity. The Navajo Nation's COVID infection rate has surpassed that of New York City. It's now the highest in the country. And in our largest and most diverse cities, black neighborhoods have the highest infection and death rates, including right here in Jacksonville. On top of all that we're seeing in COVID, the dark underbelly of racial injustice has also once again become apparent. In the past few weeks, we've suddenly been faced with the many ways structural racism continues to threaten the very lives of our black siblings, from militarized policing to mass incarceration to disparities in housing and access to healthcare. We have seen the deaths of young black men with our own eyes as footage of the killings of Ahmaud Arbery, and Rayshard Brooks, and George Floyd circled the internet in recent days. We heard a man cry out for his mama with his last breaths. And then we watched a whole community respond with anger and grief in the aftermath. Remember when at the beginning of the year, everyone was talking about how 2020 would be the year of clear vision? When we all wanted to see the vision of what God was calling us to personally and collectively, there was so much talk about that clear vision, new vision, casting a vision. We didn't know what we were asking for, but we sure got it, didn't we? We have certainly been given 2020 vision to understand the realities of our world. It has not been easy or pretty, but it has been revealing. We got our 2020 vision, and what we have seen with it is injustice. What we see is a marked contrast from the future that Zechariah 9 lays out for us. A future where weapons are laid down and violence has ceased. A future where we follow a ruler who makes his grand entrance not with chariots and war horses, but on a farm animal. A future where prisoners are set free and those who have been denied or stolen from or kept on the margins are paid back double. And so it's incumbent upon us to pause and take stock. I'm sure that at some point in the last few months, each of us has thought, I can't wait until things get back to normal. The problem is we've learned that our old normal is not God's vision. The task for us as followers of Jesus is to figure out how to live into the future vision. Now that our eyes are open, now that we have our 2020 vision, what are we going to do about it? In the aftermath of George Floyd's death and the protests that have rolled through our country, we've heard a lot of terms bandied about that have probably caused a lot of us, myself included, to feel at the very least uncomfortable. Terms like, reparations and police defunding and prison abolition, terms and ideas that feel at best unfamiliar and at worst dangerous. But our text today reminds me 
that while we can have very fruitful conversations about how we achieve some of these things, our call as followers of Jesus is clear, and it matches some of the aims of those big, maybe scary ideas. We want a world with less violence, particularly less violence exercised by the state against people who are vulnerable. We want a world where the worth of none of us is defined by the worst thing that we have done, and that includes our neighbors in jail. We want a world where justice reigns, where we all have equal access and equal opportunity. We want a world where if a person's property is unlawfully or unjustly taken, we restore it. We want a world where people are not excluded from community because they've been termed in some way high risk. When we take stock of these last few months, it's just really heavy. It's just been months of heaviness and weariness. We look around and it doesn't particularly look like things are going to get any better anytime soon, at least not without a lot of work. But in spite of everything happening around us, in spite of all that weariness, we don't sit here in despair. Y'all, we have so much hope because we know how the story ends. We know how it ends. The Bible is full from beginning to end with stories and images that tell us exactly how this ends. So let's hear it one more time from Zechariah. No more swords and spears. Peace to the nations. Prisoners set free. All losses return double. We need only follow the humble king who entered the city on the donkey. And we know that story too. Jesus willingly hung on that cross and called it finished. And he stared down evil, sin, disease, destruction, death, COVID, racism, every bad thing, and gave them an unequivocal no. And then on that Sunday morning, three days later, he walked straight out of that tomb with an irrevocable yes for all of us. So we know how this story ends. And today, really every day, but, but this very day, we can choose to participate in the story. We can look at the world where it is today, we can look at how the story ends, and we can choose to be on that trajectory. In fact, author Sarah Bessie calls the resurrection an invitation. We are deputized into the resurrection life as agents of peacemaking. But we have to remember that between the king on the cult and the death-defeating Jesus walking out of the tomb, there was a hard road. Participating in the story means that we too must give things up. We're in the middle of the road right now. It might be our power, it might be our convenience. I don't know what that is for you, that's between you and God. But it will probably be costly by our culture system of values. It was certainly costly for Jesus, who gave his very life for it. But we do it with the joy of the end of the story, always in front of us. Just about a mile from here, in La Villa, there's a little park dedicated to famous civil rights activist James Weldon Johnson. He was born there on that corner of Houston and Lee Streets nearly 150 years ago. Many of our students have attended the local middle school that's named for him. And while he was principal at Stanton, again, a school many of our students are familiar with, he wrote his own resistance story, a poem called Lift Every Voice and Sing. 
which was performed by his students to commemorate Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Johnson wrote this song deep in the Jim Crow South, with the memory of slavery still very, very fresh. It tells a story of a brutal past and a hopeful future and the long, long road in between. We have a tradition at Riverside of singing this song, often called the Black National Anthem, every year at our patriotic concert. Now this year, we couldn't have that concert because of COVID, but we can still hear these words that were penned by our neighbor. So in a few moments, Debbie's going to sing Johnson's resistance story for us. And as we hear these words, I invite us all to reflect on who we are in this story and who God is calling us to be. Let us use our clear 2020 vision to march faithfully onward to the day that we too can shout and cheer that our King is come. <laughs> 